The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God bless the reading of this word. Well, many people have heard um, Paul in Romans, and if you've grown up in church, how many of you have ever heard of the phrase Romans Road? Some of you? Let me know, literally, if you have heard Romans Road, would you raise your hand? I just want to get a good... All right, so there are a lot of you in here that have never even heard that phrase. There was actually an evangelism strategy that was birthed um, decades ago called the Romans Road of Salvation, and where they literally took Paul from Romans chapter 1 through Romans 3, Romans 5, Romans 8, Romans 9, Romans uh, 10, Romans 14, and literally just went through different chapters and pulled verses out that would show people our sinful desires, the necessity of Jesus, and the forgiveness that came through Jesus, and then how we could then in turn um, have um, eternal life. Or the, and I've even heard it said that you get to spend eternity with heaven. And, and so they would build this out. It was written in the children's curriculum. It was, it's been turned into bracelets, a Romans Road bracelet that people could have. And so there's a lot of things that, would, that were taught through the book of Romans. But one of the dangers that happens when we as pastors just go and grab a verse here and there to prove our point is that we're not actually talking about the point of the person actually wrote it originally through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we're not careful, we'll read something and it'll be confusing and then we'll just back away from it and then just walk away altogether and like, ah, I'm just going to wait until Jesus comes back and then it'll all be clear. Well, if we understand what the Bible is saying to us today, we can have revelation now and things can become clearer to us now so that we can literally wake up every day being alive in Jesus Christ. Like, we don't have to walk around with confusion and pain and stress. Like, we can literally be alive. Like, and Jesus even said abundant life. I mean, that, and a lot of times that's interpreted only financial provision because here in America, that's what people think they need. If I have all the resources I need in the world, then I'm going to be happy. And let me just tell you this. I've been around a lot of people in this last four to five weeks that make a whole lot more money than you and I do, but they have the same problems you and I do and the same desire for contentment. The only problem is, is they have been blessed with a lot and have now know the truth that just with that blessing does not mean that you're now happy, where you and I are like, yeah, but I really would like to try that blessing out. Because I know that is true, but it would be nice to be in their shoes so that I can see if it is true or not. But let me just tell you guys this. There is no financial blessing in this world that's better than the truth of what Paul is talking about. All right, And so we have got to get to a place where our eyes are fully opened. We are not blinded by this world. We're not blinded by 
dreams that this world offers us, but we're, we're, we're illuminated in the truth of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done, how God has displayed himself in Christ, what gift of great love has come through Christ. Now, the problem with Romans chapter 3, and I heard a theologian, one of my professors one time, talk about it this way, um, and it was, he used a telephone analogy, but I'm going to switch it to a data cable nowadays, because back a few decades ago, um, there was this, it was mainly phone lines that were traveling over cables and, and electrical power, but now it's become the internet, and now there's, you can see a small, like, Cat5 cable that is in the wall that is carrying trillions and trillions of conversations at one time. Like, it used to be a phone line. Like, I remember my, my wife telling stories of this when she grew up in the country in Virginia, where their whole street had what was called a party line. And so if Ginger picked up the phone in her house, she could listen to her grandmother's conversation a half a mile down the road because they all shared the same phone line. Any of you remember growing up in something like that? Okay, yes, all of us, 45 and over, we are raising our hands right now, okay? But Romans 3 is like a super highway of information in a cable, and every word is a separate conversation. There is so much in Romans chapter 3. There are references to Abraham. There are references to Isaiah. There's references to the gospel account that hadn't even been fully circulated at this point yet. There's testimony of Paul. There's the covenant language. There's so many things that if we just took the time today to walk through it word by word, we would, we would literally break for lunch tomorrow. That's how much is in just the verses that we read today. So how am I in the next 15 or 20 minutes going to make sense of this to us? But I want to come back to something Paul said that's the foundation for this teaching series, which is found in 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 3. And we put it on the screen for you because I want you guys to see this. And it says, this is Paul speaking to them. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Like, so he's talking to them in his opinion about what is the most important. And so when, what is the most important part of a building? The foundation, right? I've actually heard that there's a building on the other side of the harbor. I'm not going to mention which one it is, in case some of you live in it. Um, that the foundation of a multi-story building is actually sinking. Um, and, uh, and the rumor is now getting out amongst the tenants. That is not a good situation to be in. Like when it sinks enough that the elevator shaft isn't straight anymore, you know that's a problem, right? And so he's talking about the, the, what is the, of most importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, most of us that have grown up in the church in America have heard that Christ died for our sins. And we've left off according to the scriptures. Now, because according to our sins is in there, it is a part. It is a necessary part. But it was, it's almost like as if there's a writing that C.S. Lewis did um, years ago um, talking about the woodshed where there's a crack in the door and the light from the crack only illuminates a part of the shed and you only get a chance to see what the crack is shedding. So if we only take this verse as Christ died for our sins, that is just a crack towards the understanding of the great love of God that was displayed to us through Jesus Christ. Now, if we say according to the scriptures, we're opening that door wide now. And now we can, with full understanding, know why Jesus had to die on Good Friday. 
Why did he have to die on Good Friday? We've been working towards this, building pieces after pieces, and we've talked about things like Passover. We've talked about Exodus. We've talked about exile. We've talked about all of the ways that sin impacts us. And so now we're looking at Romans. And if I was going to to do this justice today, let me show you all the passages of Scripture we need to read. I don't think we're going to take time to read all of this today. So I'm going to ask you if this, if this tickles your understanding. Like, this stimulates you to want to taste and see that God is good. I'm going to have these verses and these chapters, actually these chapters and the verses listed, these chapters and these books listed up here periodically through my teaching so that you can actually write them down and go back and read them yourself as we go through this. Because as this is displayed in front of you, Paul is building his case out of this to tell us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We are all sinners, yes, but Paul has a deeper meaning in this that I think is really important for us because we struggle in it much like the Pharisee did in Luke chapter 7. And Luke chapter 7 isn't even on there. That's my edition. Luke chapter 7 is the story of the woman that was weeping at Jesus' feet, crying so much over the condition of her life and knowing that Jesus was for her and loved her, that she wept and used her hair to clean his feet and then repeatedly kissed them. Now, most of you in here have foot phobias. You don't even want to touch your own feet, let alone somebody else's feet. We are so far removed from foot washing and caring for one another's feet that just the idea of you laying at Jesus' feet and kissing them over and over again makes you want to throw up, right? But this woman was so convinced that Jesus loved her and forgave her so much that her physical response was weeping and wiping and kissing Jesus' feet over and over again, so much so that the Pharisee in the passage said in his own head, why is this woman kissing his feet over and over again? And then it says, Jesus, knowing his thoughts, which I love, you can't hide your thoughts from Jesus. He knows them. He reads them. And he immediately responds to him saying, if, if somebody owned a master $500 and somebody owed a master $50 and the master forgave them both, who would forgive? Who would, who would be more overcome with joy for the forgiveness? And he's like, the person that was forgiven 500. And he's like, this woman understands how much she's been forgiven. Most of us in this room do not feel like Jesus had to forgive us much. That's just how we are, especially in the culture in America today. We all feel like other people are worse than we are. And we fail to see ourselves in light of who we are. And so Paul, in a powerful but yet super condensed way, wrote this letter to the Roman church and unpacked for them who they were, who Jesus was, who God, how God showed his love, and then what that means for them. And so hopefully we can work through this in a, in a great way. But Paul is exceptionally interested in the most important thing, and that's the foundation. Many of you will take and look at Galatians this week because I put it on the screen for you. Let me give you a summary of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is Saul extremely, excuse me, Saul, Paul, who was Saul, is now Paul, who once was a murderer, but is now the apostle taking the good news to the Gentiles. He writes a letter because he is incredibly angry. He's upset. 
And let me tell you why he's upset. One of the greatest stories in, in, in the last hundred years has been the freedom that took place in South Africa. And everything that went through in, in, in heroic stories like Nelson Mandela and many other people. Now imagine Paul being responsible for building a building in South Africa during apartheid. And he laid out a foundation, drew it up, drew up the building, and the building was going to be a beautiful, massive building where everybody could come in. And so in the process of building it, he had to leave as soon as the foundation was done because there was trouble in another area, and he had to go inspect another foundation. Upon returning, he realizes that managers showed up on the job site and started building a different building on that same foundation. The building he left had one door in one room, and the building he came back to, back to had two doors. One says whites, one says blacks, and the room was divided. Imagine how angry Paul would have been. That's the tone of the book of Galatians. And who is Paul writing to? Does anybody know who he was upset with in Galatians chapter 1? Say his name. Say his name. Say his name. Uh, say his name. Come on. If I was to say the name Caiaphas, who is that? Say it. Peter. Galatians chapter 1. Paul is upset at... All right, say it one more time. Peter. And who was Peter? He'd been with Jesus. He had walked around with Jesus. He was at the transfiguration. He was there the night that Jesus was on trial. He actually was there after the resurrection, after he'd been fishing. He jumps out of the boat, runs to shore, and Jesus is already cooking fish for him. And yet, Paul is writing a letter to the Galatian church because Peter is telling him there's two doors. There's a Jewish door and a Gentile door. And Paul is like, no, no. And then there's even a moment in Galatians chapter 2 where he says to them, we need to get this worked out for the sake of who? The poor. And this is part of the reason why we're going through this series as a church. Because the more the church argues over the foundation, the more the people that need us the most are left in need. I just, you guys have got to hear me on this. We are so wrapped up in our theological understandings and in our theological thinking that we're doing no earthly good. We are too connected to things. We don't even realize that we have idols. We think we're worshiping God, but we're really not. And so in the foundation of this passage of the book of Romans, in the foundation to the church in Galatia, in the foundation of Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he is saying to them that because of Christ and in Christ, everyone is included. And now a lot of us are like, yeah, that makes sense. Why is that such a big deal? Well, I think we're still struggling with it today. I mean, if you just take a few minutes to read some headlines for the last couple of weeks of our news cycles, you're going to realize that we are still struggling with understanding what the foundation is. And if you and I have the wrong foundation underneath of us, we will build the wrong building. What you think about Jesus' death and his resurrection shapes your life. You can't believe 
that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and live a selfish life. Because it's not possible. Because if you really believe that he died according to the scriptures, that literally shapes every aspect of who we are and then allows the overflow of that life to just produce something totally different than what is really being shown. And so the book of Romans is laced with what we would call Passover language. And any of you know, in the Jewish history, Passover was a time when they were literally freed from Egypt, freed out of slavery. But it's not just that. It even goes back farther. Paul goes back even as far back as Genesis chapter 12, when God looked at Abraham and said to him, I am going to bless your family, and your family will be a blessing to just your heirs? No. Everyone, every nation, every people on the earth will be blessed through you. And then if you get to Genesis chapter 15, Abraham has gone a little bit farther, and there's a powerful phrase there that actually ends up making its way into the book of Hebrews, where it was cred- God credited Abraham's faith to him. Abraham's faith was so strong into the foundation of who he was. God was walking in, in just pure excitement over Abraham's faith, and he just continues to expand the understanding of all of that, because Abraham's like, I'm old. If it's up to me to have a family that blesses the earth, I'm going to die and I have no children. And we all know the story. There was a, um, there, there's a tension over um, Sarah and, and Hagar, and then Ishmael was born, and then Isaac was born, and then sending one away and having children. And then we wonder why the family unit in, in the Middle East is having such a struggle today, because... Abraham, even in the midst of all of that, continued to take his eyes off the promise. And if Jesus died to forgive our sins according to the scriptures, we've got to consider what was taking place in Genesis 12 and 15. There's a, at the end of Genesis 15, Abraham is asleep, and God comes to him in a vision. And God actually has said to him in this vision that I want you to take animals. Now, I'm sorry. I know this is a different era. We don't, um, we're not around animals that very much. We definitely aren't around them being prepared to become our food like they once were. But as a custom, as a way that covenants were formed in Abraham's time, a family would bring an animal and another family would bring an animal and they would saw it in half setting it along a ravine so that the blood would pull together and the blood between the animals was indistinguishable. The sacrifice on this side and the sacrifice at this side had pulled together. And so it goes on talking about the different size animals all the way down to the birds that Abraham brought, which was a symbol of two families coming together in a covenant relationship for marriage. That's what happened in this Genesis 15. And so it has the blood pulling together and and God talking about the covenant he's making with him. And when God says something, he keeps his promise. He's faithful. He can't lie. He can't say something and not keep it. And so in Genesis 15, he has the, the sacrifices lined up and Abraham is off to the side. And in that sacrifice, which because we... Um, haven't literally been taught much about Jewish customs, the two fathers would come together arm in arm and walk the trench through the combined bloodstreams as a way of sealing the covenant. But what do we find at the end of Genesis 15? 
Abraham is off to the side. God comes as a flaming torch, and he walks the walk by himself, saying, I'm going to keep your commitment, and I'm going to keep my commitment, and I think we lose sight of how much God loves us. He didn't even make Abraham take the walk because he knew he couldn't keep it. But he loves us so much that he wanted the covenant in the first place, so he keeps both halves of the commitment. And so when Paul says to the church in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, we're finding a more and more complete picture, realizing that Christ died to keep God's commitment and to keep our commitment. But the problem with the way that we've many times used things like the Romans road We've taken the deity away from Jesus at times, and then we give it back to him at times, and we take it away from him at times, because I've had some of you say to me, I really struggle with God taking his wrath out on his son. Like as if Jesus wasn't God himself, because the Gospels say Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we take phrases that the writers and the Spirit was trying to help us make understanding and to hear the story, but we lose sight of the fact that Jesus on the cross was God. And God so loved the world. And because it says, so loved the world that he gave his only Son, we now separate the Trinity out, which up until this point in time, even in the Roman church, they really didn't have a full con- a concept of Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, they knew that they existed, but the word hadn't been created yet in the, in the theological framework. But Jesus, to the early church, was God. The Father, to the early church, was God. The Spirit, to the early church, was God. There was no delineation. They were God to them. Manifested in different ways, and it gets confusing, but it's a beautiful mystery. But at the end of the day, Jesus, being fully human, was fully God, and wow, what a miracle. Because God wanted to keep the commitment he made in Genesis 15. So this plan of God all along didn't just randomly one day happen that Jesus just happened to go to the cross. God has been orchestrating it through all of human history because he has loved humanity since the day he created it. The day he breathed life into the world and said it was good, the day he breathed life into you and I and said it was good, he has had a deep love for us. But somehow the church over the last 100 years or more has allowed the world to think more like Greek God style where God is Zeus and angry at everybody and he's just looking for a way to blow it up. But yet that is not the the way that God so loved the world. And that when you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, God has been doing everything in his power to love us and to take all of it upon himself so that you and I can be set free. And so Israel got a a, a freedom from Egypt, but on the cross, we not only were freed from things in the world that earthly bind us up, we are freed from our sin. But sin is a symptom. It's like you go to the grocery store right now or go to the pharmacy section, and some of you are like, okay, and you go and you get prescriptions based upon your symptoms. So you read the box. Well, I have a fever. I have a runny nose. I have a cough. 
um, I have an irritable bowel, whatever it is, and you look for a box that has everything on it. And so you don't buy a box that says you have. You buy a box that says, are you showing symptoms of these things? And I just want to tell you, our sins are symptoms of what our real issue is. And this is Romans 3. Romans 3 talks about the symptoms. Romans 1 talks about the issue to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Romans 2 specifically speaks to the Jews about the issue. And Romans 4 goes back to Genesis 12 through 15 and talks about how God has been loving us because we have this issue. And what is our issue? It's not sin. Sin's a symptom. Our sin is idolatry. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 says, They knew God, but they did not honor him as God. They did not glorify him as God, and they swapped the glory of the immortal God for the likeliness of image of the mortal humans. When Paul is writing his letter to this early church in Rome, he is building a case to them that they're idolaters. They are worshiping things that aren't God. And I have to say, guys, we're, we, we talk about our symptoms all the time. We talk about the things that, that are troubling us all the time. But at the end of the day, what our problem is, is that we worship other gods than God himself. And when you do that, you sin. And so how does this express itself in a marriage? Let me just give you an example. When I am not loving my wife with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, she knows it. She can be like, well, I I hear you saying the right things, but I know this isn't right. And next thing you know, my clothes I leave on the floor becomes a fight. Like, haven't I told you that one of the ways you can honor me is like picking up your clothes after yourself? And I'm like, I know, I'm tired. I just need you to pick up after me. Whoa, that don't go very well. Right? I'm expecting dinner on the table at 5.15. All right, that's, that's, that's been gone since the 60s, right? I mean, that's, that's not, I mean, that, that, there's, there's, there's so much that goes on when I don't have my eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when I allow myself to say, I need to be served, I need, I, you know, and it's all this I stuff comes out, then we have incredible relational conflict with everybody around us. It can be at work. I mean, you guys know it. I mean, I hope that you're not the person, but there's probably somebody in your workspace that they can't have a sentence without the word I in it. They can't have a sentence without something complaining about the influences in their life. And let me just tell you this. Who is their God? They are. I've been exposed to people recently that make a whole lot of money. And let me just tell you this, their God is that. And there are some of you, your God is in the next published article that you've put out. You can't wait for this thing to be published and your whole identity is shaped around it. Your joy of your day is shaped around it. Your emotions are shaped around it. And if you hit a stumbling block, the entire character of who you are changes because your God is letting you down. And so the the people in Rome that Paul is writing to is saying to them, Jesus died so that idolatry could go away. So that you and I could worship Jesus. 
so that our worship could be restored. Nothing is hindering us. The symptoms of sin are dealt with. He's forgiven all of that. And we can't make it. I don't believe Paul here is saying, we sinned, God punished Jesus, we're forgiven. Now, that is true. But God didn't just punish Jesus. Who was Jesus? God. He punished himself for us because we're idolaters. And therefore, we have a myriad of sin issues. Because depending on who your God is is what your side effects are. Some of you, your God is sex. And so all the side effects of sexual gods are, and we could go on and on as follows. We could list the brokenness from physical to emotional to spiritual that go along when your God is that. And if your God is money, we could have a myriad of other things that could become sin issues relating to that. Self-centeredness, pride, all these things, they're symptoms of the issue of God is not God. And Jesus died for you and I so that we could acknowledge that God was God. And so when you look at these chapters, you look at Galatians, you look at Isaiah, you begin to see very clearly that God is after our worship and he's removing every obstacle in our life that hinders us from worshiping him. We all commit idolatry. So therefore, we all sin. God promised Abraham that he would save the world through Israel but Israel was not faithful to that commission, just like you and I aren't faithful to our commission. But God put forth the Messiah. And if you want a good definition of the Messiah, read the book of Isaiah, and good luck. Jesus was God's self-revelation in the world, whose death, has been our Exodus story. So on Good Friday, which we're going to celebrate on the calendar coming up in just another two Fridays, um, we are going to come together in this space on Good Friday night, and we are going to celebrate the day that Jesus crushed our idolatry and made it possible for us to worship God unhindered. And that's why there's so many other words in the book of Romans, because what does it now a life look like when our idolatry has been taken care of? What does a life look like when God shapes every decision that we make? What does it look like when we realize the power of God that has come in the person of Jesus Christ? So I believe there's, there's a couple of things that Paul is actually saying here in Romans 3 in light of Romans 1 and 2 and in Romans 4 that frame it that I think are really important. And one of them is this, is that the covenant planned by God for the rescue of the world was accomplished in his sin and death. The covenant that he made when he walked that trail through that torch and that vision with Abraham was fulfilled on Good Friday, period. It's done. The problem is, is that doesn't motivate us because we don't understand fully in our intellect and in our ability and in our will. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate that for us because that was the single greatest gift that God could have ever done was to die for 
that covenant commitment to us. The second thing that I think we can begin to find unwrapping Romans 3 in light of Romans 1 and 2 and 4 is that the covenant faithfulness of God, we can call it love, we can call it whatever we want, the covenant faithfulness of God was drawing on Israel's commission to be a light to the world. They were asked to be a light to the world. In the Sermon on the Mount, who has God asked now to be the light to the world? Us. The church. Believers in him. Anybody that's in Christ is now called to the same commission. We are to be a light into the world. Don't hide it under a church. Oh, I just flipped it on you. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. The, this is the thing, is that we're hiding it. We're so scared to talk about Jesus in America right now. Nobody wants to talk about it because of all the crazy... The enemy, the evil one, is so good right now at silencing the church because he's, 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 the, there's so much stigmatism now about identifying with Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ died to fulfill a commitment to us. How could we not talk about it? How could we be ashamed of it? How could we begin to think that, that, um, that, well, Jesus just doesn't need to go with me where I go. I'm just going to keep him at home or keep him in my church. That's not what we've been commissioned with. We've been asked to be a light into the world. Yes, there are a lot of lies about Jesus. Yes, there's a lot of lies about the church. Yes, there are a lot of lunatic pastors out there that are making our life miserable right now. But that's the same thing that the early church faced. And the church thrived under the persecution. It expanded around the globe. It was moving in places that people would have never thought the church could have gotten to. And so if we understand what it means for Christ to die for our sins according to the scriptures, we understand that Jesus died to crush idolatry so that God could be our God in America today even despite everything else that's going on. Another thing is in light of the Passover, which I think we'll find on, during the Good Friday week teaching that Jesus went to Jerusalem specifically during Passover, not by coincidence. He chose Passover for a purpose. He went to the cross on Passover weekend for a purpose. And when you and I begin to understand how much the Passover influences Paul's teachings, you're going to understand how free you really are. But the problem is, is that we don't like our freedom. How many in here love animals? All right. Some of you might actually have a card in your wallet that has some animal rights group, and I would love for you to bear witness of this. But there was a popular story a few years ago that birthed several movies called Free Willy. Right? Because there were whales held in captivity that were fed and played with humans, but people didn't think that that's the best place for a whale to be kept. And so the whale was kept in an aquarium off the coast of California, right on the coast. And so what did the people do? They set a plan in place to, to free Willie. And so what ended up happening? He was freed. He went out into the ocean and swam around. Is that the end of the story? No. What did he do? He came back. He went back to the tank. He's swimming around the coast trying to figure out how to get back. Why do we do that? Jesus died to free us from our captivity. 
But what do we want to do? We return to where we've been set free from. But yet we have been set free into the vast creation of the way God intended his kingdom to be. But we will accept the freedom in Jesus. We will get exposed to the kingdom life that he wants. And then we want to go back into captivity. We want our idols back. We want our money gods, our sex gods, our, our self-centered gods, all the things back because we feel more comfortable in the tank than we do with God being God in the vast oceans around us. And Good Friday was our freedom from the tank. We no longer are bound by the God that was keeping us in captivity because our God loves us so much he gives us the ocean. But we are continuing going back to the sins of our idolatry. Paul, in talking about all of this, was saying that Jesus has finally finished our exile and he's given us our own place. The other thing, too, which we'll deal more with in the next two weeks, is on Good Friday, according to Romans 3, in light of Romans 1 and 2 and 4, Jesus took on the powers that are holding us. And I think many of us in here don't have a theology of spiritual warfare. It is easy to say, God, Jesus. It's a little harder to say, God, Jesus, and spirit. It's a little harder to say, God, Jesus, spirit, scriptures. It's a little harder to say, God, Jesus, spirit, scriptures, and an enemy. And because we don't have a theology, a foundation under us that has Jesus as our advocate through the Spirit and the enemy as our accuser, we get blindsided by the enemy all the time because we're denying his existence, but he's in our ear all the time. And as a church, we've got to understand that we are in a period of time where that power has been defeated, and he is kicking and screaming. And therefore, he is not wanting you and I to experience the abundant life of the ocean. So he's telling us, no, go back to the captivity of your idolatry. And we as a church need to grow in our maturity because there's a city around us that is in desperate need for us to wake up to the foundation that is under us because we are not helping the poor. We are not helping those that are in desperate need for us to help them. And the enemy wants us to be distracted by our idols so that we do no earthly good. And that's not what Jesus died for on Good Friday. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we continue to grow in our awareness of just this great love of Jesus. That Jesus, yes, was human. Yes, was God. Yes, is called your son, especially to make sense of all the Old Testament prophecies. But Jesus was God. And you took upon yourself everything because you love us that much. And Father, we confess to you, even though right now many of us haven't referred to ourselves maybe ever or in a long time as idolaters. But Father, we struggle with idol worship. And right now many of us have idols and we don't even know that we have them. 
So, Father, would you help us to see what it is that we're worshiping more than you? Father, could we look at ways in our lives to evaluate where idols are showing themselves? Father, you died for our sins, yes, but you died to make it possible for us to have unhindered worship of the glory of God. And Father, even looking at Abraham and then looking at Moses and seeing how you revealed yourself as the I am, but then you ultimately showed your glory. Father, Jesus made it possible for us to see your glory. And so, Lord, would you help us as we move towards what we celebrate as Easter weekend on our church calendar. But Father, we can celebrate Easter every day of the week because we've been set free. And so, Lord... Would you show us what steps of obedience look like? Would you show us, Lord, how we can walk in awareness and confession and and true love like Christ? And Lord, would you strengthen the bonds between us in unity, Lord, for the sake of the poor, for the sake of those that are spiritually poor, Lord, so that people can know the great love of God that we're about ready to celebrate with a church holiday weekend. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son. Thank you for being faithful to your promise to Abraham. Thank you for your promise and your faithfulness to Jacob. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you've been faithful to us, even when we haven't even acknowledged it. But, Father, you are good, as we've sung all the time, you are good. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.